Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Adrian Cartland. I'm the principal of Cartland Law, a firm that specializes in uh, tax and commercial law. And uh, today we're going to be going through all the fund land tax changes that we, that we and our clients are going to begin to know and love if it gets through Parliament. So there, there could be a light at the end of the tunnel, it's going to all fall over. Um, but from my understanding, it's, it looks, looks like it's coming in. So um, let's just start with an overview. This is what I'm going to talk about today. So at the moment, we're, we're taxed under a system of looking at titles and creating ownership of properties. So we have the various provisions that will, that will create a, a notional ownership, so say two people who own property together, creates an ownership, a, a trust will be a, a separate ownership number, um, and, and it works like works by that, it will work by the separate company, uh, a separate company, a, a different person, There's, they're, they're assessed as the, as the owner, and then um, the trusts, for example, will, there are various rules, in section 13, 13a, that, that aggregate them, for example, if their beneficiaries aren't sufficiently different or if they have a similar trustee or for the same beneficiary, whatever that means. Looks like all of that's going out the window. As a 30 second overarch of where we're going, it's supposed to drill down the, the ownership of properties into individuals. So theoretically, these new rules are supposed to say, doesn't matter what entity it's in, is it a company or it's in a trust or whatever, it's going to drill down the ownership percentages, find some individual people and say you own this amount of land and aggregate it all together. Doesn't quite work like that, but that's what it's supposed to do. Uh, it doesn't, one of the reasons why it doesn't quite work like that is that it's actually a multi-tier layer of taxation. So you get uh, taxed at the trust level or perhaps various trust levels and then there's rebates or, or credits at, at lower levels. But it's it's intended to have um, the effect as if you, you find a number of people and you say, this is your property, and so it looks through them. Now, of course, you don't need to um, uh, look through into properties. You can, in certain circumstances, you can, um, uh, you can either elect or, you know, or just by, by failure, have, have there no look through of, of the ownership of properties, but in which case there will be a trust surcharge. So there's, there's some sticks and carrots. Rather actually, there's just a lot of sticks. <laughs> so um, I'm just gonna start off with an overview of the, the, the current rates for uh, 2019-2020. Uh, you can see here that it starts at, you know, at uh, 391,000 um, tax-free threshold, and then continues up to the highest rate of 3.7%. Uh, 
highest rate in the country, bless them. Um, the, um, the threshold here before you win, you get to 3.7% is 1.3 million. So it's a nice low threshold. Uh, so you quickly get up to that, that high amount. And, and, and for that reason, people have tried to disaggregate properties, separate them out. Um, it's, it's essentially like, um, like if you put a, a dam in the middle of a big river, now the river's not going to stop, it's going to try and work out a way around it. If you poorly design something, people work out a way of you know, making things work. Um, and so now they're trying to build up the dam so the whole river stops. Yeah, politicians put the law in, though. They, they, they put it in the Land Tax Act, though, didn't they? Exactly, yeah. So, so yeah. The exception. So, um, uh, and, and the best part is, is it's not a, not a full rewrite either. Now these slides are going to be um, emailed out to you afterwards, um, but but please take photos. And if you do have questions, I'm um, more than happy to um, answer impromptu questions. So now this is the possible new rates for 2021. 20, uh, we don't quite know. We have um, like a couple of figures in there, but this is a this is a reasonable guess. But please don't hold me to it. And so here. For standard rates, or for for not a trust, you know, um, $450,000 threshold. Um, then, then the next threshold is to $755. We are paying half a percent tax. Then $755 to $1.098 million, 1.65% tax, and then above that, 2.4% tax. So, and then of course, um, so there, there's the, the the base amount, which is say at $1.98 million. You're going to pay you know, seven point seven thousand one hundred eighty-four dollars plus two point four percent on the amount above that. So this is just um, a, a calculation of, of the tax up to that that number. So that's how, that's the easiest way of calculating um, uh, marginal thresholds. So um, so it is lower, and you might think that this is a this is nicely designed to to help the big end of town. Because um, I mean, if you own a hundred million dollar shopping center, like you're probably winning out of this. And here's the, the the trust rate. It's the same rate as the other one, except that um, above twenty five thousand dollars. I'm not sure why twenty five thousand dollars. It's a really small nominal number. You're paying half a percent tax. Um, so it's it's 05 percent higher up until you get to one point um, nine eight. And so at 1.098 million, you're paying $12,000 tax rather than 7,000. So you can see the, the impact of it. Um, obviously, at say uh, $450,000, you're paying, um, instead of paying zero, you're paying two, uh, so $2,250. So you look, so for those, you know, those mom and dad investors who have you know, a couple of properties, currently paying nil or a small amount, um, it's like that piece is, that's where it's the real kicker. Okay, so here's how this is going to be implemented. The existing aggregation rules are going to be repealed. So uh, all your 13A, 1330B, um, the minor interest um, sections are going to be repealed except for residential land. So, so 
you know, technically at present, if someone is buying um, property in a trust and they're concerned that this legislation might not, might not go through, you have to pay attention to that. So you, if you are setting up a discretionary trust um, to purchase some property, which you can do until this um, legislation is introduced into Parliament, as it's written at the moment, then you must make sure that the beneficiaries of them are slightly different. Otherwise, it'll be aggregated with other properties. Once this is introduced, you can uh, it doesn't really matter what the discretionary trusts look like. They can just be the same, they have the same trustee, all of those aggregation provisions are removed, except in the case of your principal place of, of residence. Uh, I'll come to that shortly. Now, where white land is jointly held, it's going to be jointly assessed. It's a two-tier process. So husband and wife own property, own an investment property together. It's assessed at them together. And then their proportional interest will be separately assessed. And it will be aggregated against other properties that they have. And then they get a, a, a rebate or a credit for the amount that was paid at the joint level. Why? Just to make things really confusing. <laughs> Practically, this means that um, it's as if you've divided the property and said you're going to each own 50%, you're owning 50%, you're your 50% will be aggregated with any other property that you own. That's how, it's, that's how it is intended to work and should work in most instances. There will be a number of edge cases where that won't work. And, and one of the fun pieces about the edge cases is that um, if the amount that you would be credited is um, you can't get a refund out. So if you're going to be credited an amount that's more than the tax that was paid at the joint level, you can't get more back. So um, we can. There, there will definitely be some fun edge cases there. So carry forward. I don't think it does. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, it's lost. Um, yeah, it's um, it's uh, it's, and that's the way they that's the way they've built it, and and there might be multiple tiers. So when we look at um, trusts, it might be you know a trust you know um, as, then it has a, a sub trust, and the sub trust below that might be five tiers, could be a real pain. Um, <laughs> and, and then if there's you know if there's a, a mismatch somewhere in that in that level, then tough luck, no rebates. Um, um, no rebates to get a refund. So now community titles, they're going to be, um, uh, they're taxed on the lowest individual plan. So if you've got primary or secondary or tertiary, you know, primary is the lowest one, that's where that's the level it gets taxed. If there's secondary ones, that gets taxed but not primary. Tertiary, if it's tertiary, that gets taxed but not secondary primary. Um, and there's no tax on common strata property. Now for, um, for trusts, it says, that there is a separate assessment for the trustee. So it's treated as a separate entity. Um, we don't look, we, we, we don't look at the existing section 13, 13A um, provisions that's, that um, ignore a trustee in certain circumstances. It says, no, if you're a trustee, you're assessed separately and you're prima facie liable for it. Um, and then it has a really nice broad definition of what constitutes a trustee. It includes an executor or a guardian or liquidator, or a person having possession, administration, or control of land, income, or property. So that could be someone managing property on behalf of someone else. 
That could be someone with some um, with a, a power or some kind of contractual power over the property. Um, they could be deemed to be a trustee, and then we'll see later of all of the obligations that fall upon a person who is a trustee, besides being liable for the tax, they also are um, are liable for to make a whole number of notifications repeatedly. So this is a lot, a lot broader than what we might ordinarily think of as a trustee. Now for fixed trusts and unit trusts, um, one of the, uh, I've had a few people ask, what constitutes a fixed trust? Well, first of all, a fixed trust is not a thing at law. There is not a, there's not a, a, a legal definition for a fixed trust, a unit trust, a discretionary trust. There are, however, um, certain situations where that will be considered. So there might be um, uh, like some superannuation legislation that says this is what a fixed trust is, and then we look at colonial mutual um, the decision. Or in here, there is like say in New South Wales, they have a they have a specific legislative um, definition in their land tax of what constitutes a fixed trust, which is uh, horrible and, and horrendous. Um, and and then there are other definitions of unit trusts. We don't quite know. All that it says in this legislation is that, as it's written at the moment, is that it's not an excluded trust, which is your charitable trusts here. Um, uh, and some others I've got the latest slide, or a discretionary trust. Now, what constitutes a discretionary trust is quite broad. And a unit trust, it just it says that it's a unit trust. Now, it's not clear to me, the way it's drafted, whether a unit trust must be a fixed trust. So in New South Wales, they want a unit trust, it must be a fixed unit trust. If it's not, yeah, so, yeah, so if we don't have to have a fixed unit trust, we could have an ordinary commercial unit trust, then we can, this is something we could actually work with in terms of structuring. Now what I mean is what constitutes a fixed trust. So a fixed trust, the beneficiaries are going to be absolutely entitled um, to the income and capital. There might be um, no provisions for issuing further units. There are going to be no, um, perhaps, restrictions on um, altering the deed, you know, like it's, it's going to be a bear trust, but even bear trusts um, are not fixed, say for New South Wales definitions. So, um, if we can have you know, a, a unit trust deed where there is the ability of the trustee to accumulate, in, so income or capital, which they might choose to do, which is you know in your vanilla unit trust deed, or issue new units or different classes of units. These things might make it a non-fixed trust for, say, New South Wales. It's not clear um, what happens here. Um, it might be the case that we can just pick. And so we can say, I think that this is a unit trust, therefore I'm going to nominate it as a unit trust, and therefore it's not much behind. Um, this is one of my big concerns when I go, I, how do we practically deal with this junk that we have to, have to face? Um, and you know, and, and having a, a unit trust that has some discretions in there is something that we, we can make things better with. What my fear is, is the way the legislation is drafted at the moment, you could probably you know, um, you know, be comfortable using a unit trust. 
that's not fixed, you know, with some with some discretions or some abilities in there. But my fear is is that in a couple of years' time, revenue will say, we'll say, no, we're just going to take a different view. We're going to say, no, it's got to be something that's you know fixed like New South Wales. And there's quite a lot of case law in New South Wales on, um, that is uh, quite antagonistic to taxpayers. So if you have a fixed or unit trust, um, you can make a nomination of who the beneficiaries are. If you don't, you'll be taxed at the higher tax rate, the, at the trust rate. And again, you're going to be taxed at the trustee level um, as if this is the only land held by the trustee, so on the marginal tax rates, and then the beneficiaries will be assessed on their proportion. So at that rate, at, at that time, it'll be aggregated with the other land held by the beneficiaries. Again, there's no refund um, on the credit of the proportion of tax paid by the trustee. So now with discretionary trusts. Sorry, just going back oh, sorry. on there. So you nominate a beneficiary. Well, no, so you need to give notice of who the beneficiaries are under that um, uh, unit trust. So if you have a, a, a unit trust and you have uh, John and Maria as the, uh, as the uh, two unit holders, they each hold 50%, you need to um, tell the commissioner, Revenue SA, who are the unit holders. Um, and so in which case they will be assessed themselves on that 50% ownership each. So you can't just nominate anyone. You have to nominate who are the unit holders. And and, um, and if it's a fixed trust, um, which I, um, it seems to me, it means that there's it's a, a trust that's, that can't be altered and that, you, that can't be changed. And you say, these are the people who are the fixed beneficiaries of, their, of the trust. So- Back to, to a joint ownership. Yeah, the, the idea is like what they're trying to do is cut through everything and say, no, imagine that it was all transferred to individuals. That's what they're trying to do. Um, and and then um, aggregate it. Now, in fairness, like there are some people who have like hundreds of properties and they each have them in different trusts and companies. Um, and they pay like no land tax despite having you know, tens of millions of dollars worth of properties. Legally. Yeah. But the thing is, is if you said I want to have an, I, I want to introduce an anti-avoidance provision to 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 attack that, that's not hard. Like you could create a technical anti-avoidance provision, and there's been there's been dozens of technical anti-avoidance provisions over the last 20 years, 30 years for, for land tax, and no one kicks up a stick. You know, people go, oh, this is going to increase, this is a bit of problems, they restructure it, that's fine. You know, you catch out the people who, you know, there's always going to be people who are pushing the boundaries. And, we will, and it's important that we have our tax legislation to to um, to to nix that. That's fine, but nix that. Don't introduce essentially a new tax on people who have gone. I'm I'm purchasing a couple of properties, and this is the tax rate that I'm going to purchase them at. If you have 100 properties, I'm like, okay. In fact, if you have 100 properties, uh, and if you're paying nothing, well, uh, you're going to be worse off. If there is some kind of aggregation, you know, like I said, if you've got a shopping centre, you probably you're, you're, you're laughing. The big guys come out of this well, and you know, and it's, and it's the aspirational um, developers or property owners who are, who are really hit hard. I, I mean, and we can see this clearly with a discretionary trust. So, with a discretionary trust, which is the default structuring 
option for someone who has their perhaps your know, first or second um, <coughs> uh, property because you, you're going to want to stream income for federal tax. If you make capital gains, you're going to want to stream that amongst your beneficiaries. Even if you've just got one person, you're, you're still going to likely put it in a discretionary a property and discretionary trust for asset protection. You know, if they're a if they're a director of a company or they're a professional. Um, and then you go, well, you know, I'm going to use this for succession planning. I might put, you know, a uh, different property in a different trust. For I've got, you know, I have three trusts and three children. Um, line them all up like that. And then, you know, maybe five, six down on the considerations is land tax. And I can tell you that it's not high on the consider on the consideration list because as a lawyer that does a lot of work in land tax, I see a lot of people who go, oh, they haven't structured their properties well. They're getting, you know, um, big tax bills and say, can you can you fix this? So your um, like this isn't some kind of like avoidance strategy. It's like this is how you structure for the rest rest of the um, like you know, asset protection and, and income tax and CGT 101. Well, but um, but so here's the how the here's how the the new structures work. So for a discretionary trust, so a discretionary trust is defined as something that. Um, it's something that vests the whole or any part of the trust, and that vesting is to be determined by, um, by identity or quantum at some later date. It hasn't been determined, um, or it will occur if discretion is not exercised. So therefore, um, uh, any trust where you have flexibility over um, like choosing between the beneficiaries, or even if you had uh, a unit trust that has A-class units and B-class units and you can distribute between them, that hits the definition of a discretionary trust. Um, if you could, you know, amend a unit trust and, um, you know, and or, or, or make some choice in there that causes it not to um, not to vest on a particular person, that will that will fall under the definition of discretionary trust. Even if you have some kind of trust power, that will be a discretionary trust. It's immensely wide. Now. Um, I think that if you, if something meets the definition of a unit trust and a discretionary trust, you have the ability to just go to, to make a choice as to how you nominate it. But it's not. Is that year by year? Uh, with a discretionary trust, you get one nomination before 30th of June 2020. And that'll remain for the. That, that's it. So that remains. So in fact, it has to be a pre existing trust and land. Um, or the introduction of the bill. So, if someone says comes comes to you today and says I'm settling tomorrow, you can buy in in a discretionary trust as the bill is worded now. I just want to put in a few caveats there because obviously the the wording of the bill could change. It seems like they've said it's um, it's going to be this way from the time they introduced it into Parliament. So on that lucky day when um, Rob Lucas walks into Parliament and, and, and tables it, from that moment, discretionary trusts that are used to purchase property or land purchased in existing discretionary trusts are new will not be able to be nominated. So if I have property that's in a discretionary trust that I've had for 20 years or I purchase it today in a, in a discretionary trust, I have until 30th of June 2020 to make a nomination to Revenue SA as to who the beneficiaries 
the, the beneficiary singular is. If I don't, it will be taxed at the higher trust rate. If I do make a nomination, then that beneficiary will be assessed on the entire value of the property of land in the trust as if they owned it themselves using this nice two-tier mechanism. So if you had 10 trusts, mm -hmm. nominate the same beneficiary, yep. you pay multiple on 10 properties. Correct. Or you could pick and you could say, I've got 10 trusts and I've got five children and I'm going to nominate two trusts for each children, for each of those children. Now, this comes then into a number of other issues. Like one, like what happens if your children want to go off and purchase property of their own and suddenly they've had this property nominated for them. Now you can revoke the nomination, but once you've revoked it, it's done. It's, it's always going to be taxed at the, at the higher trust rate. So you can't substitute it in? The only time you can substitute is if they die. <laughs> It's pretty yeah, good. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So if they die, then you can nominate someone else. Um, you can't nominate like if you get divorced or or you're bankrupt. What about just trusts? The same rules all apply for them. There's a nomination. You have to nom. Uh, you bet they're they're separate to discretionary trusts. Um, uh, there, um, there is a, a look through for them. You, you have a year to make an, um, an administration. Uh, you need to give notice. Um, you, uh, and then they're going to look through who the beneficiaries are. So if you nominate a, uh, a discretionary trust, you nominate a beneficiary, but not just for land tax purposes. How does that affect uh, that, that trust in relation to uh, distribution of uh, other income uh, across through that trust? It's just the ATO talk to the, the land tax here? Or? Well, no, so it doesn't create an equitable interest in them. Um, now, if there was one area where it would have an impact, and that, that would be in family law. But on the other hand, in family law, they've kind of ignored trusts and the general concept of trusts since the mid-80s. Um, so, so basically <coughs> what the way um, the family law cases go and um, the Family Law Act just says, if there is a trust, we're just going to lob it in with all your other assets. Doesn't matter who's, who's, you know, who actually owns it by. You know, and it's long before Kenan and Spry, you can, um, there's plenty of 80s cases that um, they ignored um, trusts as an asset protection vehicle from there. Then if we looked at, say, bankruptcy proceedings, the only one you might look at is, say, Rich Star, which was uh, a single um, decision by a uh, uh, Western Australian uh, judge, they did once by High Court, but um, that was then, that was not, that's not really been followed, it's got a high watermark and they said, you know, if some, you're the trustee, the sole beneficiary, the main beneficiary, and the appointor, um, and you're going bankrupt, I'm going to treat you as if you own this property. But that was for a very particular Corporations Act principle, but that really hasn't been followed. So in which case, I don't think that, that um, this notional deemings is going to have an asset protection problem in of itself. I don't think it's going to, you know, be picked up by trustees in bankruptcy. What it will have is is other effects. So you nominate, you know, there's um, say two trusts, one 
um, one nominates a husband, one nominates the wife, they they get um, divorced and say the wife keeps both the trusts um, and the husband takes other property in their property settlement. The the wife, well now the ex-wife, can't um, revoke it, or she can revoke the nomination for her ex-husband. She doesn't have to. It's under her control. And um, and if she does, it's going to affect the land tax that she pays going forwards. So, and there's, there isn't really a way of changing that nomination. So that so it, it's it's not an interest that can be traded, but it's it, it doesn't there isn't there isn't much you can deal with it. It, it is you know they're not intending this to be a to create a bunch of useful trusts that um, you know pre-introduction of this bill that people can then deal with. It's kind of designed to to be grandfathered and fall fall over at some stage in the future when people die or divorce or you know go bankrupt or you know transfer like you know if you you can't transfer it to your children uh, um, like unless you die. So sorry, just one step back. Sure. Just a basic question. So if A and B own three properties and your land tax bill would be say ten thousand dollars, yep. would they be given one bill in name of A and B for ten thousand, or does A get a bill for five and B gets a bill for five thousand? So I don't know how they're gonna administratively do this. The way the legislation set uh, sets out is that they're going to give a bill to A and B jointly for ten thousand dollars. They must pay this, and then B will get a credit for ten thousand, uh, for, for five thousand, and A will get a credit for five thousand. On the other properties. Yes, on because uh, oh, they get taxed at two levels. Well, no, a credit, not a refund. So, it's not fantastically drafted, to put it mildly. Well, actually, here's what they've done is they've copied and pasted it from Victoria, but then put in their own little pieces. And, um, and you know, they haven't thought this through. They, they haven't, um, I don't, like, it says that it's supposed to be it's supposed to fix an anti-awards problem. That's not what, what this does. It's it's basically a new taxing regime that, that imposes a fresh tax on a bunch of people um, on, on an asset class that is difficult to transfer. Adrian, just back to yes. your, when you're talking about the husband and wife in the divorce scenario. Mm -hmm. So the husband therefore, if the wife doesn't remove her nomination for the husband on the property that she gets in the settlement yep. from her divorce. Who's to be liable for land tax on that property? Yep. It'll be, so he'll be assessed yep, yeah. as if he's the owner of the property. Yeah. So then that will cause problems, won't it? Yep, it'll definitely cause problems. Can he not remove his name and the beneficiary and take in the set court order and say, hey? Well, notice that their, their family lawyers will have to think of that ahead of time. They'll have to do the property settlement. Yeah, they'll have to do it. Offsets, yeah. They have to either like do offsets of property settlements. They have to think through their land tax planning. Um, uh, you know, family lawyers like that's not necessary. Like tax is not necessarily their forte. Nothing's their forte. 
<laughs> so, um, um, I'm looked, you know, they're, they're dealing with people, you know, like I'm a tax lawyer, I'm a back office person, I'm not a people person. So, you know, I, I like to put, you know, give, give credit where it's due. You know, I, I couldn't deal with someone crying on, on me, you know, all day. I'd say, well, this is here some tax for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, now you've got something to cry about. <laughs> <laughs> It was my first and last family work plan. So, um, uh, so, so other trusts. So, because it wasn't complex enough, they wanted to set that if you hold, if you, as a beneficiary, hold your beneficial interest on a further trust, you're called a beneficiary slash trustee. Um, and that, and then, so your interest will be aggregated with, will, will be treated as if it's the sole interest that you own, because that's how trustees are, are, are assessed, as if it's the sole property that you own as trustee, um, and then it will be, you'll be taxed on it at that rate, but then it will be um, passed on to, to the lower beneficiaries. And so it could go down a few tiers. The, the thing that I find interesting about this is that this is really the only way of um, carving out a part of a nomination. For So if you have a discretionary trust, just say it has five properties, you can't make um, five different nominations, one for each property. So say you have five children, five properties, but it's all in one trust. You can make one nomination down to a single beneficiary and they will be assessed um, as if they owned all five of those. But using this um, beneficiary trustee, if you nominated one person, but then that one person says, I'm going to hold any interest that I have on a further trust for five, like for each of these, in, you know, um, 20% holdings, then you might, then you could split it up that way, potentially. You could definitely do it with a fixed or unit trust. You can work out what a unit trust is. Um, um, you might be able to do it with a discretionary trust. Um, now, um, I flagged before that I've defined what an excluded trust is. So charitable trusts, concessional trusts, public unit trusts, super funds, and um, limited recourse borrowing arrangements. So when you're buying a super fund and you set up a fair trust that, that borrows and holds the property on trust until the borrowing has been repaid, um, those are excluded trusts and they are taxed at the standard rate. What about special disability trusts? Yes, special disability trusts. There was a few others and I, so I didn't list them all. Um, so a... Um, an implied or constructive trust is deemed, the trustee is deemed to be an owner and you taxed the trust rate only with no ability to um, make a nomination. And it's, and this is entirely separate from all the other nomination rules. So let, let's say um, you are the you have provided the funds for purchasing a property, 
and the, but the property is purchased in someone else's name. Really classic implied trust um, uh, example. And so they're holding it as trustee for you. They need to give a nomination. They need to give a notice to Revenue SA about this. Now the fun part is, is that often implied or constructive trust, people aren't aware about, aware of them. You know, or a constructive trust. You know, another um, common example is um, the, the the farmer who says to his sons, "You've got to work on my property for 40 years, and I'll give it to you." And then one of them has worked 40 years and leaves for the city, and and the farmer says, "Well, no, you're cut out. Um, you're you're not getting anything." And he says, "Well, no, I've just done 40 years of working for nominal wages. You know, I I have some entitlement here." So. Um, now in that case, the farmer would, would have to make would have to realise what this constructive trust and give a nomination. Similarly, if you're the vendor, after completion of a sale of property, but before the title is registered, so classic constructive trusts that arise upon the sale, aren't they a trustee? Doesn't this mean on every sale and purchase? that you need to make a nomination, like where there's some, you know, like a, a time between completing it, you know, so paying the money and the final registration of the of the title. Now maybe if we're all doing electronic lodgements on PEXA, then um, this won't arise. Uh, so, um, you know, quick plug for PEXA there. Um, not going up, that was funny. Um, <laughs> Uh, then, um, but if you're doing a, um, a classical registration, you know, you, uh, a, um, a, a paper-based transfer, and you know the money is paid, or um, all the things have completed, and the vendor is, um, but hasn't transferred the title over, there is a there is a constructive trust there. Theoretically, you've got to give notice. Um, resulting trusts don't seem to be covered or considered. Um, so, resulting trust. Um, and you know, someone, for example, someone um, uh, settles a property, in, uh, settles some money incorrectly. Says, "I'm going to put this money on, hold this money on trust for someone," and it fails, or hold this property on trust for someone. It fails, and it comes back to them as a resulting trust. And so the first person is holding it as a resulting trustee for them. Again, this is kind of the these are edge cases, um, but sort of shows that they've they've had the stabs at various ideas, but haven't really covered the field. Okay. Um, I'm just sorry. wondering, I'm sorry. Sure. How's all this going to be worked out? Who's going to tell you that Ruby USA? Oh, we've got a notification slide. That's the next one. And just another question. Yeah. So, yeah, we're at where, uh, this a uh, commercial property uh, structure where uh, there are units issued to, uh, uh, to various companies and individual purchases, uh, for, say, and multi-million multi dollar commercial properties where yep. you actually hold units. So, uh, so you're not registered, the company registers the trust structure under that. So you need to give nominations at each of the unit holder levels. Um, so the trustee has an obligation. I might just, just I'll skip to the next slide, uh, and then I'll come back to, to principal place of residence. So you may nominate, um, if you're fixed in, uh, or unit trust, you may nominate the beneficiaries. If you don't, then you're going to pay the trust rate. If you have a discretionary trust, you may nominate, you can choose not to, before 30th of June 2020. And if you do, then 
if the trust was in and owned property before the introduction of the bill, then that property and that trust will um, will be uh, deemed to be owned by the person nominated. Those are the may, but then you've got a whole bunch of musts, and this is going to be a nightmare. And I'm sorry, guys, you're the ones who are going to have to deal with this. This is the conveyancing nightmare. Um, so you've got, you've got to make uh, you've got to make a you you must lodge the following within one month. If you become a trustee, if you are a trustee when the legislation commences, so you need to go through all of your books and find everyone who is a trustee and make a nomination. If the trustee disposes of a land, of land, in some or in part. If you acquire further land, you buy something else. If you change the type of the trust. Now I'm not sure if that means you make any kind of amendment to the trust or whether you make you know, if you're amending a trust and it, and it appears to be fixed and that this may be considered to make it discretionary trust, who, who determines whether you've changed the type of the trust? But if you do change the type of the trust, whatever that means, you have to make a nomination. If it's a fixed or unit trust and you change the beneficial interest or the unit, so so, unit, so um, every time there's a change in the in the unit holding, that needs to, that needs to go. Um, and if you're completing the administration of a deceased estate. Now, this, like, I hate this kind of nomination stuff, but I did think of some fun. Um, so, so, the lowest property on, the, the cheapest property that on sale at the moment, it's about $30,000. So it's like a little, like, derelict church up near Panola. Um, I looked on realestate.com. So what you could do, you could get a number of people to crowdsource the purchase of that for a very small amount of money, you know, $100 each. It's not going to cost much. And then so we put it on a, a unit trust that is owned for them. And then we either have the unit trust regi reg register, you know, I've just put it on a website. And so you, you, you can buy and sell these, you know, or you could have some fun and put it on a blockchain or something. Like I build legal tech for a living. So, um, uh, but let's just say that you could easily transfer this. And then we we follow these rules exactly. Every time there is a there is a change in the unit holding, we send uh, like a faxed letter or something to Revenue <laughs> And then we say go for it. Invite everyone to buy and sell this as many times as possible. Every day, get like 50 or 100 nominations um, faxed in. So that's 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 my fun um, but that's a that's a hypothetical if someone uh, I would not encourage someone to do that that would be um, be problematic but but why don't we just think about it but practically you know you know this is going to be a real pain for someone with a large unit holding you know or you know when there's, there's something that's broadly held or um, you know you've you've just got a lot of you've got a big corporate group that's just got a lot of lot of interests and it's really easy to change um, um, interests um, in, a, in a group. That's a question. Sure. In relation to deceased estates, so assumably on the date of death, the executor. I don't think they have to give notice. Um, but they do have to give notice um, once it's administered and I think they have a year to administer it. Uh, or uh, um, that they've got a, a year. Um, and there is, but there's a deemed look through, 
So it ignores the Livingston case of, so, so the Livingston said you don't have a beneficial interest until it's sufficiently administered. It says you're deemed to be administered, I think, with it. I think it's how it works. Um, don't hold me to it. Um, is that after a year you're deemed to be uh, holding it, and, and then after that time, if you're if you don't, if no one has a beneficial interest, then it'll be taxed at the trust rate. I, I think I can, I've got the legislation there. Okay. Sorry? Well, okay, but well, assuming it's a difficult estate, it might not be administered in a year. So at which point after that, land tax becomes applicable to the trust at the rate yep. of the executor. Yep. Okay. Yeah, at, at, the, um, at the, the trust surcharge rate. That's, that's, that's my reading of it. Um, I've, um, I, I was looking at that specific point because uh, I was like, oh, you know, this is the executor stuff that's everyone, everyone just really wants to know that. I was like, I just, I'm not 100% that I've got the answer right. Like, I, it's just, it's just a mess to read. I'm sorry. <laughs> Can you just go back to your comment about, sorry guys, it's up to you, you've got to do that application. Yes. Addressing, obviously, conveyance. Yes. Why the conveyance has to It's oh, I, of the taxpayer. Well, the taxpayer has to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Other uh, thing is, so, so practically, what's going to happen is, is the taxpayer is going to say, "Oh, you're looking after my tax affairs or my, my property affairs." You know, but like maybe they'll yell at their accountants. Yeah, accountants. Accountants. Yeah. So the legislation doesn't specify whose obligation. No, you just dodged the ball there, didn't you? Right, so, um, principal place of residence. So, you can have a the unit holders or the, or the fixed beneficiaries or the fixed or unit trust claim the property that's the subject of that trust as their principal place of residence, but all of the unit holders must live there. So if you had, <laughs> this, is, this is not a land tax, this is, a, this is not a tax seminar, this is just like some kind of comedy skit. Like I've never had people laugh so much at, at tax, but kind of in this like painful laugh. Like this is, <laughs> um, so, so you can, so, They've just carved out this really narrow use case of, you know, mum and dad buy, a, buy their residential property in a unit trust and then own all the units themselves. For what godforsaken reason, I cannot think of. Because what, what's the benefit of that? You've just got to own it in your own name. There's no, there's no tax benefits, no CGT, there's no asset protection. Now, maybe if you had a, a, a um, like different units across you know, in different places, maybe. Uh, and in fact, I, um, at the end, I've got, I've got to make some suggestions on, on structure. How long have I got? I've got 10 minutes or half an hour? Cool. Um, so um, we can nominate, so we can nominate a discretionary trust beneficiary to, um, if we say that this is their property, then it's, they can be their principal place of residence. It seems to me that it, it isn't actually, this is another one of these provisions that I'm not really confident on this, this one. But that's the best reading that I've got over there. So if you have a discretionary trust and it has someone's principal place of residence in there, if you nominate that person who lives in there, then 
they can um, get the principal place of residence exemption. But it's, it's much less built out as a provision than the principal place of residence exemption for the unit trust holdings and, and, um, and fixed trust holdings. This doesn't apply, principal place of residence exemption doesn't apply to a beneficiary trustee. Which, again, it seems to be weird considering that a trustee, my reading is that a trustee can have land as their principal place of residence. So if you were, say, the, the trustee of a discretionary trust and you owned and you and you owned Blackacre, but you also lived there, it seems to me that you can claim that as your principal place of residence, as you can at present. And this is the, the instance where the um, minority interest provisions are really designed to kick in. Um, so at present, you could be the trustee of, of say, 5% of property or 10% of property. Um, and so long as you are on the title, you have a legal interest, you're counted as being the owner, it can be your principal place of residence. But here, if you just have a small interest in it, that will be ignored. So the minority interest provisions that cut out the cases of like the Cowell and your um, uh, Theo Morris's case um, uh, that, that we dealt with the principal place of, of residence um, exemptions where they either distributed like five, five or ten percent of the property down from the trust to the beneficiaries so they own that, or or transferred um, or made a, a change of of trustee for a small piece. And the reason why you might do that for just a small piece is because you say, well, this is an individual. We don't want to put the whole property at risk. So if you do want to make someone a trustee, you now have to put the whole property, like uh, um, in some ways, at risk um, um, by virtue of them being on the title. I mean, they are a trustee, so it is isolated from their, their other property. But, but still, um, yeah, it's still not good. So, uh, on to corporations. Um, so, corporate uh, uh, companies are grouped, and they're grouped into <coughs> one um, conglomeration of taxpayers. And they're done so if they're related or they're controlling interests. Now they're going to be related if you can control the board, as if one company can control the board of another, or if there are more than 50, or it has more than 50% of the votes or 50% of the shares. Um, similarly, you have there is a controlling interest if if a person or persons together can do the above. And so if you have uh, so you can look through various controlling interests, and you might say these two companies together control a third one, um, and and in that way, um, corporate groups can be expanded. Now, you can they also look to relatives. So if a person and their associates can do so, then that'll be picked up as well. So the companies that aren't going to be grouped together are companies that have um, uh, you know, disparate uh, shareholders. Um, unfortunately, 
there aren't really good degrouping provisions. Like so, in the Payroll Tax Act, um, companies can get grouped together, and if that's wrong, there is some mechanism by which you can apply to the commissioner and say, I wish you for you to degroup these for whatever reasons. In here, there isn't a mechanism for that. Presumably, the, the idea is, is that it'll be done you know, ex gratia or something, but it's not in the legislation. You shouldn't trust things that are not in, in writing. That's why we have the statute of frauds. Um, applies to politicians as well. Uh, so um, now when you're calculating this controlling interest, the, the share capital doesn't include fixed returns such as debentures. And so if you're, if, um, so certain preference shares won't be, won't be picked up, um, certain debt instruments um, wouldn't pick up your, um, your simple agreement for um, uh, fixed um, equities, your, your safe notes. Like, so lots of, lots of different types of uh, corporate instruments. You could have, um, you could conceivably play around with the shareholdings to, to change the grouping of this. There isn't a notification provision here, which is a little bit weird. Um, but presumably, they're going to look at ASIC and say, whatever the shareholding is, that's it. So, um, so but what happens if it's beneficially held? You, there, isn't a, there isn't a requirement to give a notification as to who the beneficiaries are. Um, now, what happens if, yeah, so if the, if the shares are, are if, uh, if you give someone uh, nominee voting rights, you don't have to um, disclose that. So, it, like, there is, is weird, you know, it's quite, you know, it's not uncommon for people to give their voting rights to someone else. Now, does that mean that if we've got a bunch of patsies out there to own shares and we say you're, you're going to hold them beneficially for me and give me, give, and nominate the voting, voting rights, it's not, the companies are not going to be aggregated with other companies? I'm sure. Um, uh, also, disregarded is a financier with security interests. So, if a financier has, say, a bank has the voting rights or capital rights or control of a board by by reason of their lending, that's not going to be aggregated. So, uh, and and so banks won't accidentally group together companies. But if a group is, if your companies are grouped then the commissioner has discretion as to how to assess them. Could assess them jointly or separately or pick amongst them which ones the commissioner is going to assess. So like, I expect that the commissioner will just fling assessments as to whether he, he thinks the money is going to come from, wherever she thinks the money is going to come from, so female commissioner. So, um, like that, that doesn't. You know, there isn't a principle that says the assessments should lie where the tax is, and and companies can be grouped even if they're not in South Australia. There's no jurisdictional restriction here, so you might end up grouping a South Australian company with some Queensland company, and then by virtue of that grouping, um, deem some other company in there. This is a fact of way of taxing. Land out of, out of jurisdiction. 
Yeah, well, I think it's more that you'll pick up assets outside of the jurisdiction, like in, in regards to being able to um, uh, make assessments on assets outside of the, the jurisdiction. You're not going to assess land out, outside of the jurisdiction. If there's Queensland land, you're not going to you're not going to be taxed on that because you're only taxed on the amount of South Australian land. But it's more a case of if you had South Australian land and the commissioner put a charge on it and the South Australian land is mortgaged to the hilt, but you happen to have a related company or, you know, in another in Queensland and he says, well, since you're related, I'm going to assess you jointly and separally, um, out you go. Like so the creation of the liability rather than correct. the charge. Yes. So... Um, structuring thoughts. So, uh, first of all, so there is a fixed time frame to make discretionary trust nominations. You have until 30th of June 2020. Everyone who owns property in, in a trust in South Australia needs to take consideration of this structuring of that property between now and then. I can tell you May and June is going to be very busy. So, but when you're making this nomination, this isn't just, I've got three kids, I'm going to make three nominations, for, uh, like one nomination for each of them and one for you know, the husband and wife. No, like you have to think about your asset protection. Like, so what happens if you're making nominations uh, and what happens if, if you're bankrupt or, 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 you know, or you're you know, considering divorce and you know, like you, you need to think about that. What happens about your estate planning? You know, so I want... If you're nominating Blackacre to child one and Greenacre to child two, it turns out you leave Greenacre to child one and Blackacre to child two, you're going to cause problems. You can't change those nominations. So you're going to need to think through what properties are going to what children. Think through, like, um, are you going to dispose of these? Calculate the fairness in tax going forwards and say, this. You know, I'm going to give Blackacre to child one, and therefore I'm going to nominate them. You have to make these decisions between now and 30th of June 2020. If you're going to leave property to someone, like you know, as as the you know um, everyone's planning for their succession, as this, everyone's getting gray grayer hair. Like I've got even I've got gray hair. Um. <laughs> You, you need to think, like, you know, if I nominate you know, Nana, like, what happens if she passes away? Who's going to be the next person in there? Sorry, can we just go back to this nomination issue? Sure. I nominate my child mm -hmm. for a property. Yep. So for a discretionary trust. A discretionary yep. trust. And then I sell the property. Mm -hmm. What happens to the nomination? Does it die? There is, no, there is a nomination for that trust. It's not for the property, it's for that trust. And it's for and it's for that trust and only for property that that trust owned before the introduction of the bill into Parliament before the prescribed date. So if you buy a later property, it's carved out and taxed at the higher rate. So you can't nominate for that other property. No, that's it. So it's it's one's a state tax and one's a federal tax. No. What what Nick's saying. No, no, this doesn't know, this doesn't create a fixed interest in any way. So what you could do is is you have your discretionary trust and you nominate your um, child one for this trust. Uh, 
and then you distribute all of the income and capital from it to child two, or to your wife, or to someone else. We're only talking about land. We're only talking about land tax. But so, um, so for land tax, once, like, if you buy further property in that trust, so after the prescribed day, the prescribed day being when they introduce this into Parliament, that tax, uh, that, that property will not be subject to the nomination. So if I have a discretionary trust now and I have Blackacre as of today and I nominate myself as the beneficiary, in six months' time I purchase Greenacre too late. Like, um, it calms out. Greenacre gets taxed at the higher tax rate, Blackacre doesn't. So it's only property that you hold in trust as of when they introduce this bill. Um, any property that you purchase after that in a discretionary trust, it doesn't matter if there's a nomination or not. It's a registered charge, correct. So I, I understood Nick's question to be that they sell the property, you, you sell the property. Yep. So the, the trust then all of a sudden has got no property. Correct. Yes. Then the trust, which is, goes on in perpetuity, yes. buys another property. Yes. Do you get the opportunity to change the nomination then? No. Yes. So you, you can't. So because Isn't that the, what you are asking? Yeah. Yeah. You don't pay land tax on the property you sold. No. No. Well, provided that you sell before 30th of June 2020. No, 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 no. Well, that's the problem. I, I own this building. Yep. It's in a trust, discretionary trust. You are my child. Yep. I nominate you. Yep. Right. In three years' time, I sell this property. Yep. What happens to my nomination for that trust that continues? No. It's, it's got other properties. Oh, it continues for the other properties. That's fine. Because you're making the nomination at the trust level. So all of the properties in that trust as at as of 30th of June 2020 are nominated for me, the child. Now, if you sell those properties, sure, that just reduces the net value of those properties. If you buy an additional property, though, that's not subject to the nomination. So all you're doing by nominating is saving the church surcharge. Correct. Yeah. You're saving the surcharge for the properties that you own as of the, the prescribed date. Yep. Do we have any idea of this prescribed date? The prescribed date is when they introduce it. And so, so what they've done is um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, they finished their consultation. And so they um, everyone made submissions by then. Now, from what I've heard, is that they're going to want to bring the legislation in as quickly as possible because they correctly acknowledge that this is causing disruption in the market. Basically, people go, well, what do I purchase it? You know, if someone's, like, I've literally had clients come to me and say, I want to purchase property, and I say, if you can delay this, you should. If you have to, like, we're just going to make the best with what we're doing. But if you can delay the purchase, then then, then go. You know, or if you can purchase in... You know, not South Australia do that. So another thing was so uh, people start off going, okay, cool, I've got I've got husband and wife and three kids, cool, that's five people. But then you go, that's five people I can nominate. But what happens with the children's future purchase, uh, purchases? So if you're nominating your children and, and then they go, oh wait a second, I was about to purchase property myself. You, 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 you know, so if you're going to be 
um, making nominations on behalf of a broader family group, you actually need to have the difficult discussion and bring them in. And you can only have a single nomination, is that correct? For each trust. For each, and, and if there's a trust which has five beneficiaries, you can only be one of those, those people, even if you've got six properties. Correct. Yep. But somehow one's going to get lumbered with the lot. Correct. Correct. One's going to get lumbered with the lot. I mean, we wanted to do a really quick trust split and or transfer them out, but, um, um, probably segregate it. Um, like, if you if you had something that was really urgent and you said I want to I want to do that, probably be effective between between now and um, the introduction of this, and then so you could split that trust in, into say five trusts, but noting that you know things like uh, so trust splitting where you take one trust. And you and you carve it in, into multiple trusts. Um, so, if you have a starfish, and if you, you cut a starfish down the middle, both sides will regrow the remainder of the starfish. So you have two starfish, both of which are the original. No starfish were harmed in the making of this. Example. <laughs> then you still have split trusts. Yes, um, the ATO. Um, in TD 2012 D3 says we don't think so but they've pickled themselves because on their reasoning their reasoning in my view is that if you appoint a new trustee that is that is resettling a trust therefore every appointment of a new trustee is a resettlement um, and there isn't any way around that um, that's that's my view uh, and um, so they've taken the, the new trust view, as it's called. Um, uh, I might refer you to Dr. Campbell Rankin's um, a PhD. You would want to do that, you'd be here all day. <laughs> so I, I have a uh, Campbell protege, uh, so um, one of his longest lasting lackeys. Um, so, uh, um, so um, you know, I acknowledge Campbell as, as pushing pushing that idea. And then the ATO have taken that. In, that's how, that's what I read them, and I've said, you know, this, you've got some, you've got some trouble there. Um, there's been a lot of other people who have really disliked the the idea that the, the ATO wants to you know, get rid of um, trust splitting, and the, there's been some very forceful opinions um, put back against it. They're they're stuck it with a, a draft rule. So probably the, the short answer is is that you probably can't do trust splitting, but there are possibly some ways that you might. But it's all a big mess because the ATOs they're half pregnant. There, they've said kind of no in draft, but not finalised it. But um, even if you did do that, you, you could put in, that's only a CGT thing, so you might say, oh, I can find some rollovers. So you might say, I want to split my one trust into, say, five, either find some CGT rollovers or you know, um, run the gauntlet with the ATO, or thinking that we can split it in a way that doesn't meet what they call is a trust split. Um, and which I do think is possible, and in which case you could separate one trust into five, have five different properties for the purpose of land tax, and therefore split it out for multiple different children. And you're going to need to do that before the introduction of the bill. Or have, like, yeah. So just save on land tax, you spend on solicitors. Yeah, lawyers are bastards. <laughs> yeah, well, they say 95% of lawyers give the rest of their name. <laughs> yes. Can you, can you clarify 
in that situation where you've denominated a beneficiary under the, a discretionary trust, mm -hmm. how it's proposed to be taxed, so how it's to be charged. So the trust gets charged, yep. is there a credit? Yes, the there is a credit for the beneficiary. And so the trust will be charged at the standard rate, and then the beneficiary will get a rebate at that um, um, at that amount that's been taxed for. So moving forward for those that are not nominated for new purchases, mm -hmm. same aspect. So the, right. the beneficiaries of those trusts will get a, a credit on the. Well, there isn't a beneficiary rate. nominated, so no, the, the 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 trustee will just pay the tax at the tax surcharge rate. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually going to suggest that that might not be a terrible idea. Um, so. So with a corporate self, uh, corporate. Uh, Entity trustee for a self-managed superannuation fund. Mm -hmm. That's yes. that's an extent. So then you just get charged the standard. Yep. For a super fund, you're going to get charged at the standard rate. So, so if I'm just going to skip to the, the, the next slide, and um, so, so super funds are at, at the standard rate. So one thing that you might do if you're purchasing property going forwards, you might have a number of different super funds. Yeah. Now, of course, then your accountants are going to love you because there's just all this, this auto fees. Um, but if you've got an accountant who gives to say, hey, look, all these super funds are identical, let's you know, let's let's charge you a, a discount rate. Um, so you, you could be fine. You're going to pay. You, you you know you have um, so long as you've got the money in there, or you can um, get limited recourse borrowing arrangements um, in place to to be able to do that. You purchase each of your properties. You can have four hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of property in each super fund. You have ten super funds. You've got four and a half million dollars worth of property and and no tax. Uh, they'll be they'll be um, taxed for land tax separately. They'll be taxed, yes, at the at the at the low rate. So without the without the trust surcharge. So the, the trust surcharge, and if we go back to my first slides, was here. Um, there's a five percent surcharge, and as opposed to um, whereas a, a super fund will be taxed at a four hundred fifty thousand dollar tax-free threshold, um, you know, and, and at present, yeah, yeah, but if the, 10, if the 10 super funds are all owned by the same No, if they don't, like, so at present in our aggregation rules, it does, if they'll often, it will often matter if it's owned, if it has the same trustee, but from now on it doesn't. All of those aggregation rules Yep, uh, they're, they're all gone. So this was this was you know slide number four, existing aggregation rules to be repealed. So at the moment, you know, one that when you're setting up um, uh, trusts, you know, you will to, by default have a different trustee for each trust because then prima facie they will assess them differently. You do not long no you no longer have to do that if you own multiple pieces of property. Have one trustee, ten trusts. It doesn't matter. You have to give the notification that you hold it on trust, but you don't need to nominate who the beneficiaries are. And and there aren't the mechanisms anymore to look at the trusts and say they seem to be the same discretionary trusts for the same beneficiaries. So therefore, they're all the same super funds. You could say this is the same super fund for the same beneficiary. Um, so all of those, all of that mechanism is gone. So you don't need to have ten. 10 corporate trustees. Can you just go back to my 10 trust example? Sure. I, actually, I could give you that exact example here. All right. 10 trusts. Um, no nomination. Yep. So you pay the 0.5% tax. 
surcharge yep. on each property owned by each trust. Yes. But there's no aggregation Correct. of all the trusts. Cool. Um, can I wander through that exact example? Because I'm just thinking it's worthwhile doing the maths. I've done the maths. <laughs> um, I've known yet. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm just going to. Um, do you mind if I just finish off these structuring thoughts and then we'll go to the go to the maths? So, so first, so the next structuring thoughts is for unit trust. The thing that really concerns me from a structuring perspective is there isn't a great definition of this. I've said this before. The thing that I can say is that it, it's not there isn't the the um, the provisions that they have in New South Wales that require it to be fixed, which might which. Um, and it seems to me that you can nominate something of, as being of a particular type. Say you can say that it's a fixed trust or a unit trust or a discretionary trust. Now what happens if a trust is a unit trust that also has some discretion in there? It seems that you can pick between the two. So if you can, um, if you can then this would be the suggested structure going forwards for new purchases, particularly of purchases with you know in your first couple of properties. So you might have separate income and capital units. So you might have the income units going to um, to one beneficiary and capital units to another. You might use like I use this structure quite often to getting around to fixing up division seven eight issues. You subscribe um, for income units, and then you, um, they say company subscribes for income units, and then they, they create new capital units off to uh, a trust that, um, uh, and so then the capital gains go over that way. Or you might have corpus protection units, so you say that you have this, um, like, so you know, uh, mum and dad buy the property in their name, they have a um, they have the units in their name, sorry, uh, they, they purchase it in a trust, in a unit trust, they have the units directly in their name, but just in case one of them goes bankrupt, um, there's provision in the unit trust saying that if you go bankrupt or get threatened with bankruptcy, then you will lose your interest. Or if you give some nomination to it, then you lose your interest. Um, there are some, you've got to be careful with your, when you're doing that, but there are some ATO rulings that, that set out the circumstances when you can create such a trust. So this is the way of getting a relatively simple structure that gives you those potentially federal tax things that you're looking for, asset protection, CGT, um, income tax, while also having a, um, um, a fixed or a unit trust that doesn't pay a land tax uh, trust surcharge rate. So another thought, so you don't need to make a nomination. We've, um, uh, we've removed the um, uh, aggregation provisions. Now, now, so you might then go, I'm going to purchase, like if I'm going to purchase 10 titles, I will buy each of those in one separate discretionary trust, um, and I'll run, I'll show you the numbers, and it, and it doesn't necessarily, uh, kind of can work out okay. So more than you pay now, but it can work out okay. Now, sure, they've got rid of the, the aggregation provisions, but there is one thing that I would caveat, is that the anti-avoidance provisions in um, Division 6A of the Tax Admin Act, I haven't seen them used for structures set up initially, because they've always used the anti-aggregation like um, rules. 
but it might be the case that, you know, particularly if you purchased 100 titles in 100 different trusts, that they would say that this is done for the purposes of anti-avoidance. So I wanted to just flag this. But if you are purchasing a reasonable number of different titles in a reasonable number of different trusts, whatever reasonable means, then this is what you might do. So we have 10 properties, here's my example, um, of $250,000 land value each. Now, under the current rules, um, so it's $2.5 million, I'm going to take off the, the highest rate, 1.302, uh, um, that leaves um, one, you know, $100 left at the highest rate of 3.7%, plus the, the threshold amount. So at, under current rates, you would have $57,569 tax, okay? Now, if you had each of those 10 properties of $250,000 each in a separate title, a separate title per discretionary trust, you would be paying nil. So if you have thought about this and you structure this correctly, you'd be paying no tax. If you've got it all in one, you're going to be paying 57000 Now, at the rates that it seems to me that, that they have, that they're going to introduce them at. Again, we don't know exactly what the rates are, but, this, but based on the tables that I put out before, if, if all of the property is assessed to one taxpayer at the standard rate, so it's either owned by one person or it's owned by a discretionary trust and there's one person who's nominated, it's owned by a unit trust or fixed trust and there's one beneficiary who's nominated, then there would be $40,000 worth of tax. So that's lower than the maximum now. Now, if it was all aggregated under, under, at the trust rate, so it was all owned by a discretionary trust, it's going to be 46,000. Now, if you have one tax, one title per discretionary trust, and you make no nomination, you're going to pay about $12,000 tax. And if there are two titles per discretionary trust, and say you have five different beneficiaries, you've got husband, wife, and three kids, right? um, then, and, um, then you're going to get $1,800 tax. So that's kind of your best case scenario. Now, then you might say, well, let's, so let's, here's the summary of this. So under the current regime, like if you can't separate out these titles, you're going to be paying $57,000. More realistically, you have got some kind of structuring um, thoughts going forward. So someone has structured this well for you, you're probably paying well less than $57,000, more likely nil. If you're only having 10 properties, you know, you, you know, you particularly if you purchase them one at a time, you, you know, maybe you're paying a little bit because you know some of them are uh, 250, some of them are 450, some of them are you know, 700 or something, um, or there's a couple in one trust. So you might be paying more than that. But you're, that's, that's the range. So here, at the standard rate, $40,000, at the aggregated trust rate, $46,000. Um, if, if you purchase it, like, so if you can split properties into a number of small titles, you can do all right. Well, not all right, because you know, $12,000, know, like, that's still a fair chunk of, of your returns. So just think, these are $250,000 properties, and you're paying, um, where was it? You know, you're paying uh, you know, about 
dollars uh, land tax on each of them. Recurring. Every year, yeah. So, you know, that's a percentage point. Considering you're only making, you know, um, you know four or five percent, you're suddenly not making any money out of this anymore. You've maybe lost 20, 30 percent, 50 percent of your revenue. How would you go, like you've got new tax, one time per discretionary trust, but if, you, if you've already got these in an ownership in, uh, in what, one trust or yes. five trusts? Because you're going to end up paying stamp duty to then... Uh, yeah, well, so this, was, this was just an example. So, so this is just like, so if you have this all at currently in one trust, yeah. you've got 10 titles, $2.5 million in, in one trust, that's what, you're, that's what you'd be paying every year. Um, so, uh, and, and this example came to me because I, um, I, I've dealt with a couple that are kind of similar to this and you know, people have been buying property and like, I have to complete this purchase and so I said, well, you know, how much are they paying at the moment? They're paying a lot. Oh, right, because they're a big corporate and they don't care. Um, um, you know, and then you go, well, you're a big corporate, you need, to pay, you need to pay attention to this. So, if they've got this all aggregated, most likely if someone has a number of titles, and they've owned it for you know a couple, you know, some number of years. They would have gone to wandered into their accountant or conveyancer or lawyer and said, "What are you doing? You're an idiot." They, they would have you know at least considered this, um, you know, or, or they would have been paying so much tax they would have they would have sold them off. So this you know the only person that would be paying fifty-seven thousand dollars of tax on on two and a half million dollars of property holdings is someone that has one single piece of property that they can't split up into pieces. So if they if they can split them up into pieces, it is you know almost certain that they would have done so some many years ago. But even now, you would need to be careful, especially if you had properties that had CGT qualifications. Absolutely, and so, and so this is seriously careful. So so yeah, so now when you're going to, when you're playing around with this, you're going to need to um, you're going to need to think through not just how do we shuffle this around for land tax. And stamp duty, and CGT, and income tax, and asset protection, and estate planning. Like it's a whole kit and caboodle. Like like the state government is putting a huge expense on taxpayers to to you know to be able to continue and you know and not not totally go under. So I've got five minutes. We've got any more questions? Sorry, explain that last one. We uh, we got the same property down to eighteen seventy five hundred. Yeah. So so let's just say, uh, it's instead of um, so so we put each property in a separate trust, and then we have mum and dad and three kids, and each of those discretionary trusts. So two discretionary trusts make a nomination for each person. So two nominate for mum, two nominate for dad, two nominate for child one, two for child three, two, 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 two for child three, etc. Or yeah, um, that's what you'll get down to 1875. All up for the 10 property. For, all for the whole 10. So I mean that's that's not bad, but you're gonna have to like you need those five beneficiaries. And then you might say, well, wait a second, child one wants to buy a property. So that's, I'm going to screw them up, or these are all lumpy, or I can't transfer them out, or I've got five of them, five properties in one trust, and I can't nominate them out. 
Maybe yes. that, that bottom um, example of the discretionary trust and the properties need to be held now. Correct, they need to be held now. It's not something you can do in place. No. So, so, if, you, so if you're purchasing, like, in the next week, you can do this. Yeah, so maybe not. So, like, hold your breath. Um, so, if you're settling like this week, so uh, then you can be okay. If not, then then you're then you're stuck. In, in which case, more the more likely. So, this is really only for people who have, you know, they've been planning already. They've got, um, you know, like one trust, you know, like one property per trust, or a couple of properties per trust. And they so say we're going to make it, and we've got a number of kids, or family members, or nana, or whatever. Um, and we're going to we're going to make you know, nominations for them. You might get down to that. That's that's the sort of best case scenario. More realistically, I think going forwards, if you can break things up into multiple titles, you will go twelve thousand. You know, you one one trust per title, or one title per trust. I always get this wrong, wrong way around. Um, one ownership per, per trust. Yes, one yeah one fee simple per trust. And then you don't make a nomination. So then it's not aggregated with anything else. So um, so you, you you pay you know twelve fifty for a property, say in this example. But that's kind of the best best you can do. So it actually turns out that the the, the surcharge isn't necessarily the worst thing to call. The ones that's really going to be bad are are when you have like a corporate group because you re it's really hard to restructure, restructure companies without triggering a bunch of nasty tax. Um, the ownership. You know, it's just as it is in ASIC, um, and there's you know, it's everything's aggregated. There's no ability to, to, to choose beneficiaries or not. It's just bam, it's one corporate group. You're in trouble. So if you're you know developers and you're particularly holding property as as trading stock, you're in trouble. You know, and so for you know for all you people who are going, I'm going to start my first development. You know, you know to divide this into a few uh, a few pieces, a few titles. So it's you know it's just not economical anymore. Is it fair to say that those that have purchased property over the years and purchased one property per trust, mm -hmm. this is just to do with yep. us, today are probably going to be better off with the legislation. One property per one property owned by a separate a trust. Property two by separate trusts. Yeah. Separate will they be, will they be better off? No, wait, they're not going to be aggregated. They're not going to be better off compared to other people, or better off to, compared to where they were before. No, they're going they're, they're going to be no worse off really under this new legislation because well, no, no aggregation. No, well they'll go from nil to eighteen seventy five, and that's kind of the best case scenario. More realistically, they'll go from nil to 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 twelve and a half grand. So you know, depending on how many people they can nominate, you know, it'll be somewhere in, in between there. So they're definitely worse off, but they're less worse off than forty thousand dollars. So if they haven't structured like that, they're going to be worse off. Like they're going to be really badly off. If they if they have structured one property per trust, then they're going to be less worse off. Um, land use for exclusively for primary production is still exempt. I think so. I, don't, I didn't see anything. Change I, I haven't seen it. Yeah, I, yeah. 
Yes, I didn't see you as the expert. No. Oh God, that's a that's a heavy. <laughs> um, yeah, I I, I, I would assume that changes. Yeah, it's still exists. Yeah, I think that's it. Oh, one more. Is the aggregation broader new one? Is that going to capture people that say you've got a trust that owns properties, but that trust is also in partnership? So you've got a trust that owns property, but the trust is acting in partnership with others. Is when you're saying it's acting in partnership, um, is it does, is it a registered proprietor or is it? it yeah, it would be picked up. Yeah, it's gonna be, you're gonna go into your joint ownership rules. So you're gonna go joint ownership level. Then trust level, then beneficiary levels. That's why I said you get multiple levels. I just have one point of pressure. Sorry. In this notification, which is quite concerning, if you fail to disclose the revenue SA, and they eventually come back and make inquiries, they do audits or whatever, and they find out that you should have disclosed information that would have created a tax liability. Yep. Be caught by the anti uh, voids. Mm -hmm. uh, there'll, there'll be penalties, yeah. Sure. Um, that, and, and they'll, um, now I'm not sure if there's, uh, there won't be penalties on the, on the conveyance, so there'll be penalties on the, on the tax. Okay. Yeah. I think that's it. So, will, will that be a formal announcement? That's a we'll, I, I'm sure it'll be in, in the news really, sure, really soon. If they're sitting next week, maybe next week's our week. So then we, <laughs> we start to disclose the... Oh, yes, yeah, so, so, so what, what will happen, so, so, so going forward, is they will introduce this into Parliament, um, it'll get debated, it'll you know, it'll either get shot down or it'll go through, and if it goes through and then it passes, we should know before the end of the year what that what's happening, that, it's, that um, this is how people are going to be taxed. Um, that's And you know, what notifications are going to be going to have to happen and the argument would be, it'd be simpler just to put a lower rate of land uh, tax on every property. Yeah, I mean, the, what they've done is they've, under the guise of an anti-avoidance provision, they've just sloped a massive new tax regime on on, on property holders. They, they, they should have done this, in my view, if they're going to do something broad like this, that they should have gone, let's do a full rethink, you know, let's consult, let's, you know, let's look at doing something broader or grandfathering or... Yeah, but like it's it's terrible. It's just not good. It's not good tax administration. You know, we, everyone needs everyone needs to pay tax. Uh, we, we need it. We need it for our schools, our public hospitals, our, our roads, and everything. We need we need to collect it. But what really matters is that um, is that it's administered in an efficient way. The people aren't penalised retrospectively for decisions that they are encouraged to make. But when things are made, they are made prospectively, saying that. This is what's going to happen. You are in the future going to be being taxed in this way, so that you know you can make reliable economic decisions going forwards. I missed the first ten minutes. I'm really sorry if you've already asked this question. Sure. Um, but if you have, and this is not anything to do with trust. This is to do with um, mum and dad. So mum -hmm. and dad own a property jointly, and they own mum owns one, dad owns another one. So A and B, mm -hmm. A, B. 
and they all pay, pay A and B, pay, they pay land tax in this one here, mm -hmm. and there's no land tax payable here or over there. Yep. Um, are they going to look at those collectively and... If you're owning them jointly, it'll, yeah. it'll bring them together as one taxpayer. Uh, a will pay for each one in his own right and half of A and B. Yeah, so it's going to, so it's going to be assessed at two levels. So first of all, you're going to be assessed jointly with every, all other properties that you own jointly. Yeah. So if A and B own properties together, they're going to be assessed as a joint taxpayer. Yeah. And then they're going to be um, they're going to have their notional interest, say 50% each, yeah. brought down to them, and they will be assessed on that 50% interest aggregated with all other property they have. But they will get a rebate on the amount of tax that was paid at the joint ownership level. So they could pay more tax because perhaps they've it's aggregated with other property they have, but not less tax than that. There's no opportunity to get a refund. So that would probably mean the single um, holding rate will increase. We'll see more of that on more properties, won't we? They're going to assess them all that way. We're going to have more single holdings for a justice settlement? Yeah. No, the threshold's going to increase, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Uh, if you'd like, I'll be around um, um, for, for a bit. Uh, I'll answer any further questions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.